Well, good morning. You sound about as bad as I do. Huh? Janet, that was one great job. I think those voice lessons and the piano lessons I've given you are paying off, man. That sounds fantastic. We're working through the book of, uh, of Mark. Is that where we're working through? How do you like that? I don't even remember. Working through the book of Mark, and we're at the point where God is going to be encouraging us to have a servant's heart. And I think that's an important thing to do, always be uh, service-minded, to always put others before yourself and all that. Having a servant's heart, which is pretty good, I guess, but uh, as Tim Hawkins said, having a servant's heart means you're going to be moving chairs somewhere or stacking chairs, so it's not so great. But it is also about humility, and that's not thinking more about you or less about you. It's not thinking of you. It's thinking of Christ. And I think uh, I'm still working on that. I wrote that book called uh, Humility and How I Obtained It. And, but the thing is, it is kind of hard. It is rather a difficult process as you're rising up. You know, what we're always about is about rising up and becoming great. And, and we don't want to be servants because we look at servants as something that that's what the lower people do or something. But here's Jesus telling us to be servants' hearts, to be servants. If you want to be great, then you need to become a servant of all. And I think, yeah, that's kind of true. It's an attitude of the heart, isn't it? And that's where we're going to be today. And I think he's, you know, in in book of Mark, the 10th chapter, and we're going to be in 32 and 45, but it says uh, that the New Testament is full of paradox. Uh, we, We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We are exalted when we are humble. And... We find victory by giving, uh, giving in our firmities. We live by dying. And I think all these things are saying it's a paradox because it's like if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to become the least. In that way, it doesn't make a bu- bunch of sense, but it works. I remember when I was in Bible college and there was this chapel speaker, and she still is the most inspirational woman I think I've ever met. She was going to go off to Nepal, and she was going to do work, and this was uh, quite a few years ago, and she knew that the dental care at Nepal wasn't very good. Her teeth were soft, so before she went to Nepal, she had all of her teeth taken out. Who does that? Really? You know, I, I sit there, and I talked to her out there. I was in amazement that someone who loves Christ that much that they would be willing to sacrifice it all. But we have another paradox that we're looking at today, and that paradox is whoever wants to be great must become a servant of all. Whoever wants to be great becomes a servant of all. And I can't think of a better example of someone who's a servant of all than Jesus himself. You know, as Jesus, after he went through three years of ministry and he was wrapping it up, and he sits down, he reclines at the table with his apostles and grabs a basin of water and a towel, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. That's humility, guys. 
because that was unheard of at that time for someone with position or prestige would ever wash someone's feet. And we sometimes would do that in youth group, and you talk about feeling awkward. You know, the kids never, you know, they first we'd have a basin of water, we'd have, we'd have towels set in there, and I said, you just wash people's feet, and I'd step back, and there wasn't really a real big, you know, crowd getting in there to do that, but they found out, for some reason, when you humble yourself, when you come obedient, when you become like Christ, it's a pretty good deal. Now, we're going to read here out of, out of our text, which is in the book of uh, Mark, 10th chapter, starting with the 32nd verse. Okay? They were, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those that were following were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them they were going, what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of law. They will condemn him to death and the hand over the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, this is the third time in the book of Mark that Jesus had told them this very thing, that his ministry was not going to end in a real good way for him, but he would do this as a sacrifice for many. Now, the first time he told them, this is the interesting thing to me. First time he told them, uh, Peter, it was Peter who said, he rebuked them. He said, Jesus, it's not going to be that way. Well, that's always not that good of an idea to rebuke Jesus. He kind of knows what he's doing. But Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, he didn't want to get caught up into the optics of it, or he didn't want to get caught up in what he thought would be right. He wanted to be obedient to God because he could do nothing apart from God. Him and his Father are one. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen him. And I think that's the way it is. You know, when he came into his death, he was obedient. Second time he told them this story that he was going to die, the apostles shortly after that, the next scene, they're having this discussion or this argument about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest among the apostles? And as they're going through this and they're arguing back and forth, Jesus, this is ridiculous. Because we know who the greatest is, don't we? It's Muhammad Ali. But, and he's so pretty, too, you know. But, you know, it really, it's God himself. Jesus. Who is going to be the greatest? And this third time, he's telling this story about what's going to happen to him. And then there arose this dispute or this, this, this quarreling, so to speak, that James and John get on either side of him and say, we, we wanna, when we get to heaven, we want to sit on your left and we want to sit on your right. Okay? Well, why is it when Jesus is talking about his death, it brings out this, you know, this thing about what's, uh, who's going to be the greatest? Can I sit in a position of greatness with you? Who knows? But then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. In other words, we want you to do a favor. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other left in your glory. And he said, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I, am, I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. They had no idea what they were saying. 
no idea. Because what they, they envisioned still was this earthly um, royalty thing where Jesus was going to be anointed king and there would be an earthly crown, a golden crown that, they could, that he would wear. But the crown wasn't golden that Jesus wore. It was a, thorn, a crown of thorns. And the ones that sat on the left and the right of him as he died was a, was a couple criminals. See, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, if you're going to do this, these positions, then you have to be willing to go through what I'm going to go through. And they couldn't comprehend that. All they knew is they wanted that position. And so then Jesus goes on and he says, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I baptize with, but to set up my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, the other ones, they became indignant with James and John. Now, I think they became indignant because they hadn't thought about that. You know, hey, what, who do those two think they are? I should be there, you know, or we should all have positions of authority right there. And then when the, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his ransom for many. Will you join me as I pray? Mighty God and Father, thank you. God, thank you just for your Son, Jesus Christ, and I thank you for who he is, and God, just help us just to reflect him and to have hearts that serve. God, I, I I don't know what where this message is going and what the what what you have in mind, but I just pray that your will will be done. We pray this in your very precious name. Amen. So what we want is a servant's heart. So first thing is having a servant's heart is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, and I think what we're looking at is you know, no matter what position you hold, we need to be servants. We need to serve our fellow man. We need to be willing to to say, what can I do for you? You know, when I, a couple years ago, I, I kind of got in a rough patch. My wife and I, we were kind of hurting, and, you know, and I had been a youth minister and a minister for a lot of years. And we kind of got up against it. We didn't have any money, if I be as blunt as that. And I was working one job, and kind of, Kind of out of a favor to this guy, I, I went ahead and trained it out back because I knew the proprietor there. and I really wasn't serious about it. I mean, let's just, let's be honest. I'm a minister, right? And I'm going to wait tables or something, you know? So anyway, I found myself in a position around Christmas time with no money. And we had our, one of our kids was having some difficulty, so I got their two kids and it was a terrible, terrible time. And we were broke as can be. And I came to church here. And then I came home and I said to my wife, I said, well, I'm going to go get some money. And she shook her finger at me and said, it's about time. No, she shook her finger at me. 
and said, well, you don't borrow any money. We cannot pay it back. I said, I'm not going to borrow any money. And she looked kind of worried, and she said, well, don't steal anything. <laughs> so I went into this plan B. No, it was, I said, I'm not going to steal money. I'm just going to go check out a place. So I went back to Outback and told the guy, I go, listen, I'm in a world of hurts. Can you give me some money, you know, for my training? I know they paid you. You know, you get paid part-time or whatever it is. And he goes, nope, can't do that. <laughs> oh. He says, the best thing you do is take the test and get out on the floor. And I said, I took the test. He goes, well, get out on the floor. Be here tonight at 4 o'clock. And so I went in, and I put on this mustard orange shirt with bling here and this little apron. <laughs> oh, my. So I went to my first table. I said, may I help you? And they said, hey, we need a certain wine to go with this dinner. What do you suggest? Well, <laughs> I got on my knees in front of them and I said, I got to tell you the truth. I know nothing about wine. Why don't you tell me what you want? And people enjoy talking about that. They don't like it when you're trying to buffalo them, so I did that. But I got to this point right after that, and I made a lot of money that night for me. You know, like $60 on a Sunday night was phenomenal. So what I did, though, I was humiliated by having to dress in an orange shirt with this bling and this little apron on. And I didn't want to see anybody I knew. So God didn't send anybody I knew for two weeks. I really prayed none of you guys would show up. <laughs> you know, but what would you think of me? And I also pray for the other church I served in here in town. It said, God, don't let them show up. You know, so I'm going along for two weeks without seeing anybody I knew. I said, well, this kind of stinks. Why don't you send in somebody I know? And that very night, there was this big table. And I went and said hi to them. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm waiting tables, you know, kind of make some extra money. And as time went on, you know, right before they left, he got up and he stuffed down something down my shirt and said, we appreciate you, Bob. And I didn't look right then because that'd be rude, right? So as soon, as soon as he left, I looked at it. It was a $100 bill. And to me, for the first time, I, I really appreciated not just the gift, but the sacrifice of the gift. That meant a lot to me. And as time went on, I'm the same person whether I'm waiting tables or ministering because I'm serving people. And that's what it's all about, man. See, I would talk to the, the ladies there, the girls there, and they'd ask for prayers for their husbands or their boyfriends because they hit them. I talked to this one guy who, who said, hey, will you pray for my brother? And I go, well, sure, what's going on? He goes, he killed his wife last night. I mean, I was in the raw right there serving. And even, I'll say this about Corey from Young Life. He came by and it was telling Sergio, he goes, oh, it's a shame Bob was a minister. Now he's serving tables. And Sergio said, are you kidding? He does more ministry here than he ever did <laughs> at church, which... I don't know, maybe he knew me from church. I don't know. 
But the thing was, there's no difference. There's not one difference I found between waiting tables and being a minister of the gospel of Christ. There really isn't. I enjoyed it. Now, my body so much didn't, but I really did enjoy it. I found out something very important, is that I, I had way too much pride. And we got to get rid of the pride in order to be a servant, in order to serve. And I hope that you can do that. Um, Philippians 2 kind of sums up what I'm thinking, uh, starting with the first chapter. He says, Therefore, if any of you, ha if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, like having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And this is one of the main things that I would teach my youth group is how to become third. Becoming third. It's always God first, isn't it? It's always God first. Others come second. I put myself third. When I do that, my life goes better. When I do that, my marriage goes better. When I do that, my church experience goes better. We need to become third. You agree? I know you're out there. I hear you breathing. We put ourselves third at home. Now, men, you know, I work at Christian Life Ministries as a counselor, and I really enjoy it. But I see guys that come in, and they haven't found this third thing. They don't understand what it means to be a leader, a leader of the home. And I'm going to encourage you to always become a leader of the home because God entrusted you, not because you're smarter, sorry, not because you're more talented than your wife. It's because what God said. God has you be the, has you be the leader. But I don't want you to be a leader. I want you to be a servant leader. Servant leaders make every decision. Their whole thought is to serve the people that they're in charge of. In other words, what's best for them, not what's best for you. One of the reasons our eldership here works so well is because we serve the people. The people don't exist so that they can serve us. Do you see the difference? It works. And so as you take the responsibility in your homes as a servant leader, I think it'll go a lot better. Um, at work, I think it's the same type of deal where you've got to get in there, you've got to work and give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay or for work, whatever I'm trying to say there. But you just got to do it, okay, in humility. And the last way is at church, okay. And when I was in Nebraska, I was preaching there, and one of the things that I try to teach my congregation is we exist for people who aren't here yet. 
Okay, that was kind of my, our theme for at least a year or so I was there. You know, we exist for people who aren't here. So in other words, you don't like the music, it doesn't really matter that much if that's what really serves the people. That way I didn't have any big disputes about music, drums, guitars, all that stuff, because really if that's what's going to attract the most people, then we should be in favor of that. The other thing is, I even hesitate to say this, is that it's not taking a back seat in the church. You've got to get here early to get a back seat in the church, right? <laughs> you really do. But I encourage people to come on up, man. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. You get within spitting distance of me, and it's not fun, but it's like you come up. That leaves chairs for those who aren't here yet. You follow? Because if you think you're uncomfortable coming up front with, without, uh, without feeling really judged, how do you think a visitor feels? Honestly, how do they feel? And we're making them do that, so we want to exist for people who don't go here yet. Okay? All righty. <laughs> Servants are sacrificial is the next point. Servants are sacrificial. Um, I look at the things that we sacrifice, and the first thing that comes to mind is my time. Serving others is rarely convenient. It never comes to a point where it says, yeah, I've got an extra day. I'll help you move. Yeah, I've got an extra day. I'll work on your car. Hey, I'll do this. I had a guy in my church who was a banker, um, but twice my car blew up. Nice car, huh? Well, my car blew up, and he would get off work from the bank, take off his suit, put on his work clothes, and he would spend a day, two days, working on my car. And he did it willingly because he had a servant's heart. Because we got to sacrifice our time, and our time comes Jesus' time. Our resources, it's a gift. Everything I have, every gift that I have, every talent I own, even the very breath that I just took, is a gift from him. Amen? I watch that be put in practice a lot as a youth minister. But maybe none so much as this girl that came to my junior high camp and she had the offering come around for the, it was a mission off, offering she came around and at the end of it, she, she gave $500 for that. And I go, are you sure you want to give $500? And she goes, oh, yeah. I go, does your parents know about this? And she goes, yeah, you can call her. I did. Because I thought $500 is pretty extravagant. And her mom says, no, she, she's earned all that money, and if she wants to give it to the offering, then I wanted her to give to the offering. That's a servant's heart, guys. That's a servant's heart. I'm not going to tell you how to serve. Really, you know, you could put yourself in a box and say, well, if you're not doing this, then you're not serving, right? Or if you're doing this, you're being fruitful. Who knows? What I want you to do is remember, 
what Jesus' words were. He says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And we need to have that same mindset, that same heart that will do that. And finally, servants serve. Servants serve. And I, once again, I watched that play out in one of the lives of my youth group. Uh, we went down to Mexico, to Chihuahua, city of the little dog. And well, what else does that mean? <laughs> so we were doing a bunch of work there at an orphanage. And uh, we're getting towards the end. And we were tired and all this. And, you know, I was sitting back. And one of the greatest things that they ever invented, the Mexican people, was this thing called siesta. I love siesta, man. That was like, or, that was an excuse not to do anything. I thought that was pretty good. But we took a siesta, and I was sitting there leaning against the wall. And this kid goes by, this little five-year-old kid with these sunglasses on. I go, well, this are like Derek's sunglasses. Then this kid came by, another kid. I said, everything looks like Derek's T-shirt right there. And I told somebody that, and they go, yeah, it does. Then this other kid comes by. He gave away everything. Everything, even as we were leaving, his suitcase and his sleeping bag. Why? Because they needed it and he didn't. It was really cool to watch that, man, and to watch him get a hold of this thing. And that wasn't an encouragement for me because they didn't get any of my stuff. Come to think about it, they don't want any of my stuff, but... It was just something that he wanted to do. Serve and serve. There's joy in serving. If you want a long, healthy, happy life, then serve. Period. There's nothing so miserable as trying to live life being self-indulgent. Okay? I remember once Sharon and I were having a bad weekend. You know? She had beat me quite a bit. No, she, we were just broke and stuff. And so we were sitting there, and the kids were just kind of honorary. We had four kids, and we were just at each other. And I said, that's it. And Sharon looks up, and I go, that's it. We're going. And she goes, where? I go, get in the car. So we all get in the car. We all pile in there, and we go to the church. It's on a Saturday, I think. And we went to the church. And they had this stock room for Sunday school that was horrible. Everything was everywhere. And we opened the door to it. I says, there's our project. Kid, you know, they were just so overjoyed to be doing this, right? You know, they were like, oh, I can't wait. You know, and my wife, she was skeptical. But we went ahead and we served the church by doing this, which is a mini, you know, this isn't a big deal. But you know, by the time that got over, we were happy. We were, we were doing okay then. I think because we became self-gratifying self that we lose sight of what's really important. Serve or serve. Servants serve. And I think about Jesus Christ. He's good. He came to earth. 
fully man, fully God, willingly, so that I might have hope. So that I might be able to look forward to a good future. Because not only did he live a good life, he died a good life. He died so that I might live. How about you? Are you where I'm at? I've accepted Jesus fully, and I just think he's awesome, man. I'm going to encourage you to do the same. He's a servant, but he's also my God. Okay? So why don't you stand with me, and we're going to pray. Mighty God and Father, thank you so much for your goodness and for your mercies and for your, just all the gifts you give and help us to have a humble heart, to have a servant's heart. That we can look around and see what needs to be done and ways that we can fill in, things that we can do. Ways that we can serve. But God, more than anything, help us to always turn to you. God, you are the great I am. You're the greatest in the world, and you sacrificed yourself, your body, for me. So thank you. And God, I pray as we go forward that we can be of service to someone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.